1: And now, here's your host.
0: Hey, everyone! It's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Salam alaikum, and welcome to the overview of the Morocco Pavilion at Epcot, or more precisely, the Kingdom of Morocco, as it says on the signage in front of the pavilion. As we've done in the previous nine podcasts about the pavilions in World Showcase, we'll break this up, and I'll give you an overview talk about the buildings, designs, and architecture, then move on and talk about the grounds, outdoor gardens, and displays. I'll then head inside and talk about all of the inside displays and shopping. Afterward, I'll tell you all about the entertainment that you'll find, characters, and kid stuff, and I'll end with dining options and drinking around the world. Now finally, I'll give you some details on what either was planned for the pavilion or is planned for the future. This is now the 12th in a series of podcasts about World Showcase, I'll put links in my show notes page to the other shows in the series. Let's start with the overview. Morocco was the first pavilion added after the park opening. It came along about two years after opening day, opening on September 1, 1984. It's situated between France and Japan along the lagoon. The location itself is actually kind of clever. Situated next to France, the Imagineers played on the country's physical, actual locations. Morocco is across the Strait of Gibraltar from France. Well, technically from France's neighbor, Spain. So it's not exactly geographically accurate, but it's still kind of clever, and here at Epcot, they paid homage to the fact that France is right next to Spain and is across the Strait of Gibraltar. As you walk from Morocco to France, notice that the walkway becomes darker. This is intended to represent the Strait of Gibraltar. They actually built it in so that you kind of get the feeling like you're crossing between France and Morocco. Now historically, Morocco's relationship with the United States dates back to the Revolutionary War. Morocco was the first country to recognize the U.S. independence, and the king had a fair amount of correspondence with George Washington on the subject. Replicas of some of the letters and correspondence that they sent back and forth to each other can be found in the Marrakech restaurant. Just walk in and ask to see them, they'll point you right to them. It's actually a nice little historical piece that exists there. King Hassan II was ruling Morocco when the pitch was made for World Showcase. But the connection goes even deeper hassan had met walt disney at disneyland some years earlier and got a personal tour of the park so as you might expect he took great interest and asked to be included but with a most unusual and an unexpected twist the government itself would foot the bill for the design and construction and agreed to fund maintenance and upkeep who needs a sponsor when the government steps in and makes it happen so let's talk about the grounds and gardens The Imagineers worked with King Hassan to create something that was representative of the country. The pavilion itself is basically broken up into two areas, the Villanovelle, or the new city, and the Medina, which means city in Arabic, or the old city. Like the rest of the countries in World Showcase, the architecture is true to the country's origin, but it is the most authentically detailed and correct of all the pavilions in World Showcase. The buildings represent architectural styles found in the Moroccan cities of Fez, Marrakesh, Rabat, and Casablanca. The sections of the city, the two sections, old city in the back and new city in the front, are separated by a huge stone portal called the Bab-Bujolod Gate. This gate is a recreation of the one found in the city of Fez. The country of Morocco's history goes back over 12 centuries, and much of its food, language, and customs are from influences of the Middle East, Africa, Spain, and France. The dominant feature here is a realistic minaret, typical in most Muslim countries. A minaret is a prayer tower. And it serves two purposes. The Prophet Muhammad told followers to call the faithful to prayer from the highest point in the city, and the minaret would be that, and the height of the tower is intended to help heat escape the mosque in warm North Africa. This minaret is a replica of the Kutubia, whose namesake can be found in the city of Marrakesh. The original was constructed in the 12th century, when that capital was nearing the zenith of its prosperity and importance, with a population approaching 700,000. The original stands at 204 feet tall and the Epcot clone is maybe a bit shorter. Incidentally, the design of the originals is the same as the Hassan Tower in Rabat and the famous Giralda in Seville, Spain. All of these were erected during the golden age of the Moroccan Almohads dynasty. You'll also find a minaret called Kela, which is a replica of the necropolis in the city of Rabat. Necropolis is essentially a Muslim tomb site. Now, the one in the city of Rabat Was mostly destroyed by an earthquake and now is kind of a garden but the site has a smaller minaret and that's what's duplicated here the other immediately noticeable thing is the mosaic artwork because it's everywhere in the pavilion and there's a story here king hassan wanted true authenticity so he sent a group of artisans to orlando to create the detailed work and to oversee the architecture so yes these were the artisans who worked for the king who contributed to the pavilion now, as you walk through the pavilion, look at the detail work. In a word, it's astounding. But here's a detail you can't overlook. The Islamic religion prohibits artistic depiction of live objects. Therefore, their artists have developed a unique style of abstract design. Rather than plants, animals, and people often found in Western art, Islamic decoration consists of detailed geometric patterns represented in tile walls and carved plaster on the buildings. In all, craftsmen use over nine tons of tiles, most of them hand cut to make the patterns you see. Each mosaic has at least one flaw in it, and that's because local belief dictates that only Allah can create something that is perfect. Now let's take a look around at what you see. We'll start out in the front of the pavilion, near the lagoon. Just over the railing, by the Spice Road table, is an ancient-looking water wheel. This wheel is a working device and is used to provide some irrigation to the plants in the pavilion. It served as more of a focal point before the restaurant was added. As you enter the main courtyard of the pavilion, you'll notice a fountain in front of you. This is supposed to represent a town, specifically Negerine and Fez. To the left is the gallery, with a rotating display of art. The last time I saw it, it was the Gallery of Arts and History, a display of science, music, and technology of Morocco. Now, to be honest, it's not obvious where this museum is. You only see an ordinary heavy wooden door, but once you step inside, looking back through the door to the outside, you'll see these beautiful stained glass and ornate carvings, and you'll realize that you really are in a museum. The museum itself is on the small side, but take time to look around. It's a fascinating journey into the culture and history of Morocco, no matter what display they have on at the time you go. The larger minaret, Koutoubia, can be seen to the right above the Tangerine restaurant. From the wide-open courtyard, we enter under the Bab-Bojol Gate and into old Morocco. Medina. I distinctly remember when I went to this pavilion for the first time in 1984. My brother and I were walking along, and we were fascinated at just how much the layout felt like a live version of a scene from the Indiana Jones movie that had come out a year earlier. Now, of course, we know that the movie was supposed to take place in Egypt, but actually was filmed in Tunisia. The thing you can take away from that is that while each of these countries are distinct, the designs of their medina are similar in appearance owing to the Islamic custom. So when you walk through the Moroccan pavilion, you're seeing something that's representative of something that you might have seen in Tunisia, or in Egypt, or in actually Morocco. Now, the old city features narrow, winding, crooked streets with shops all along, much like the movie set. If you're very observant, notice the little different colored tiles and paints. White walls and green tiles represent the imperial cities, Fez and Rabat. But in the south of Morocco, earthen colors are the norm. So as you look at it, you'll see these different color schemes that are there. Now the first building you see as you pass through the gate, on your left is the Fez House, replicating a typical home in Morocco, not unlike what you might see in Spain for a hacienda, with a central courtyard in front of it. Notice the mosaic tiles, carvings, and artifacts from daily life. If it's quiet, you might even hear children playing in the background, because it does actually feel like you're in someone's home. From near the gate, look up and you can see the smaller minaret in the old city, the replica of the one found in the city of Hela. The remainder of the pavilion, with its winding streets, can't really be described in a podcast. I wouldn't do it justice. You really have to see it and explore it on your own. You'll see lots of shops and take in the sounds and smells. The restaurant Marrakesh can be found toward the back, as you might see in a medina around the world. The idea is to draw visitors into the town. It's almost Disney-like in the sense of having a weenie. In this case, it's food that draws you in to to the old city. To the left of the restaurant, look up and you'll see a reproduction of a water clock, also found in the old city of Fez. This water clock, or Buonya, sits atop one of the oldest universities in the world, Al Alcarawin, which was founded in 812. Take a couple of minutes and just look at the amazing geometric patterns and colors of the tiles in the buildings. If you go into the brass bazaar, look up at the ceiling. It appears the posts, beams, and sticks that go overhead are open to the sky, but if you really take a closer look, you'll see that there's a skylight above, protecting the store from the elements. Look up at the ceilings and the tile works in many of the buildings and be amazed at the intricate detail and beautiful ornate lamps and lanterns. Remember, all of this detail was supervised by the workers sent by King Hassan II, all to ensure authenticity. Now, as you walk along, there are and plaques computers. explaining the significance of many structures and details of the pavilion, so be sure to take some time and walk around, read, and explore. Now, here's something that Kara of DisneyFanatic.com said of the pavilion quote barely visible from the main pathway around the lagoon the morocco pavilion is home to the most elaborately designed authentically constructed and all-around fun to shop and marketplace this side of casablanca as you wander through the indoor and outdoor marketplace set along rambling storefronts and hidden pathways nestled toward the back of the pavilion don't be alarmed if you forget completely that you're in epcot or even in the united states You'll find yourself surrounded by a variety of delicately crafted artisanal goods, as well as traditional clothing and jewelry, rugs, and tapestries, belly dancing accessories, decorations for the home, and more. This is my very favorite place to wander and get lost in the atmosphere around me, allowing my imagination to guide me, and taking in all the wonderful sights and sounds in every corner. It seems to me that no matter how many times I return, I will always discover something new in the Morocco Pavilion. My wish is that you, too, will continue to notice, experience, and appreciate something new, not only in Morocco, but in every pavilion, park, and resort each time you return to Disney World. I just thought that kind of summed up the feeling of it. When you walk around through the pavilion, it is really something special. Most people just kind of walk by and go, yeah, okay, neat, fun, whatever but it really is worth spending some time in and walking around. Trust me on this. Take your time and walk around. You will be amazed. The result is an amazingly immersive experience that makes one feel as if they've been transported to another place at another time. Throughout the pavilion, North African plants, including citrus trees, date palms, and olive trees, and fountains can be seen throughout the courtyard plays host to entertainment including a belly dancing show in the early evening the landscape is dominated by plants of economic importance a reflection of the integral role agriculture plays in this country hence the reason for the water wheel out front too now let's talk about shopping there are seven distinct shops in the pavilion they include the casablanca carpets where you can find fine hand knotted carpets and rugs Medina Arts, where you find Moroccan crafts such as tagine and ceramic plates and items from Aladdin. The Brass Bazaar, where you'll find many different items that are made of brass, many of which come from North Africa and actually from the country of Morocco, some of which are hammered. You might see an artisan working on some of them there in the pavilion. You'll find Suka Maghreb, which sells souvenirs, and you may see t-shirts with the yellow camel on it with the name Habibi. Now, there's an interesting story here. There's a Uh, there's a children's book that goes along with this. Habibi, which is Arabic for my darling, is a camel who usually seems to enjoy his work giving rides to children. But one day Habibi lies down and absolutely will not get up. What's the matter? asks Ahmed, Habibi's owner. Could it be a toothache, a tummy ache? Habibi isn't telling, but a trip to the bazaar solves the problem and leaves both Ahmed and Habibi happy. Inspired by a real life camel and its driver, author Betsy Lewin met in Egypt. This frolicsome picture book delights any child. And so they sell some of the uh, things that go along with that. It is a cute book, it's, it's very clever. And I think they did a nice job of selling some merchandise that support that because it really does it really does encapsulate some of the thoughts about Morocco. Of course, there are a couple of stores that sell food items, there are leather goods, and there's henna tattoos. Graded from a plant-based paste, henna is painted in ornate designs onto someone's skin, creating a hand-drawn work of art that can last anywhere from seven to about 14 days. Guests are encouraged to leaf through the binder filled with many tattoo patterns and pictures ranging from authentic to whimsical to straight-up Disney. Of course, you can get a Mickey Mouse tattoo. But if you don't find anything you love, the skilled henna artists are more than happy to custom tailor a design to your liking. You can even have your tattoo finished with some glitter and rhinestones. The whole process takes about 10 to 20 minutes, depending on the size and intricacy of the design, and the prices range from about $20 to $40. And this is one of only two places that you can get a henna tattoo on Disney property. The other one is in the Animal Kingdom. So just kind of keep that in mind. If you're interested in a henna tattoo, it's a good way to be able to get one and enjoy it and kind of take in the experience of something that's traditionally uh, Middle Eastern. Now, as far as other areas go, there aren't a lot of other areas after you've wandered through the market. But... Have you ever walked into Epcot's Morocco, decided there isn't much to see, and just kept going? Well, it might surprise you to learn that there are some rather fascinating areas of the pavilion. Discover them by taking a free 45-minute tour called The Treasures of Morocco, available periodically throughout the day. You'll learn about the culture, history, and people of Morocco, as well as the basis for the Morocco Pavilion, enhanced with visits to the food market and the Fez House. As far as entertainment... The characters of Genie, Jasmine, and Aladdin appear daily in Morocco toward the rear of the marketplace. The Kidcot station is located in the shop closest to the Marrakesh restaurant. There used to be a stage on the lagoon where the band called Mo Rockin would perform, but change came when the Spice Road table was constructed and Mo Rockin was moved across the promenade to face the lagoon over closer to Japan. And then Mo Rockin was retired and placed, replaced with more of a fusion band called. Matbuka Groove.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Marhaba, and welcome to Morocco. North Africa is like a patchwork quilt of many cultures. And the rhythms of the entire African continent move north, where they mix with thousands of years of the traditional music of Egypt. more than
0: and a little bit from Matpuka Groove.
1: Welcome. Several times a year, Morocco is filled with the rhythm of street festivals featuring award-winning musicians from around the world. So get ready now to enjoy a fusion of world music. Moroccan, Mediterranean, Armenian and Latin rhythms woven together through improvisation. Get ready to listen, dance and move to the music of Matbuka groove. Very much. From
0: Let's talk a little bit about drinking around the world. Some people obviously enjoy sampling adult beverages from countries around the world showcase. In general, Muslims don't consume alcohol, and many countries that are Islamic states outright ban its sale and consumption. But Morocco is fairly progressive in that sense, and they do sell alcohol in restaurants, though it's mostly for the tourists. Until the Spice Road table opened, you could only get a couple of specialty drinks at the Tangerine Cafe, such as Sangria, or you could get a drink at the Restaurant Marrakesh. You can still get those, but Spice Road table now has a full bar, so you can get pretty much any cocktail you desire right there on the promenade as you're walking along. As far as restaurants, there are three dining options in Morocco. First is Restaurant Marrakesh. This is a sit-down restaurant that features a live Moroccan band where the instruments played are the sitar, the derbouka, which are drums, and the oud, which is a type of guitar. And, of course, there are belly dancers that perform at set times. And that's always worth watching. It's kind of fun. You can get a lamb shank, Moroccan spiced meats, lemon chicken, and you can get this wonderful dish called bastilla, which is baked layers of thin pastries stuffed with minced chicken and almonds and sprinkled with cinnamon and powdered sugar. Overall when you hear these dishes they may sound exotic but i think you'd find that some familiarity exists within them and the flavors are certainly familiar as well and i think you'll find something you like there's something to please every palate the tangerine cafe now i pronounce this restaurant like an american i say tangerine like the fruit but it's based on the city of tangier in morocco so technically it's the tangerine cafe it's quick service and sells traditional Middle Eastern-style dishes like rotisserie meats that are spiced and called shawarma, falafel, uh, which are really just chickpeas that are ground up, formed into a ball, and fried, hummus, lentils, and things of that nature. There are some vegetarian options as well. Now, in my humble opinion, this is hands down the best quick-service restaurant on Disney property, and maybe the best restaurant, period. You really should give it a try. Get the sampler as it lets you try almost everything. Branch out. Be bold try something new. I don't think you'll be disappointed at all. There's some really good dishes here. Their uh, their couscous that has a little bit of uh, citrus flavor is just really something. It's really, really nice. Now, just off to the side of the cafe is a coffee shop that serves a few Moroccan specialty coffees, has a few desserts, and the before-mentioned sangria. Moorish espresso with nutmeg and cinnamon and the casbah coffee with a little bit of hazelnut liqueur are good choices. Or maybe a Moroccan mint tea served cold on a warm day can be refreshing. The third dining option is the spice road table. The spice road table is neither counter service nor table service per se, even though you're served both in the beautiful outdoor terrace covered area, or if you sit inside, which offers a spectacular view of World Showcase. The decor with its beautiful blue and white paint represents the north of Morocco and the Mediterranean. But the fare offered is not Moroccan, but a sampling of foods from around the Mediterranean area. Unlike the foods at the Tangerine Cafe, and the amazing restaurant Marrakesh, which are traditionally Moroccan fare. It's intimate, and the food is amazing. The eatery features what's called me- Mediterranean small plates, more like finger food or hors d'oeuvres or tapas. With offerings such as spicy garlic shrimp, salted cod croquettes, lamb sliders, a full service bar, and a great place to see illuminations, it's conveniently located next to the docking area for the Friendship Ferry Boats that come across World Showcase Lagoon. Be sure to take the time and observe the beautiful decor, both the artifacts and the walls and the architecture. Even though these weren't designed by King Hassan's artisans, they are designed in the same sort of sense. They used the same sensibility, same sort of schemes, and kind of followed the patterns that were left by the artisans. Now, what nearly was, or what's coming? Because King Hassan and his artisans were directly involved in the design and construction, it, it pretty much was as he intended it. There was nothing planned to be added, and to this point, nothing has been removed, really. But here are a couple of interesting items that you may want to consider. Most of the pavilions in World Showcase are lit up as part of the illumination show, but Morocco is not. The minaret and representation of the mosque remain dark, as lighting them would violate local religious beliefs. So Disney decided not to light them up and to go ahead with the cultural norms and customs of Morocco and not light them up during illuminations. Also, when you're looking at the Morocco Pavilion from across the lagoon, you can actually see the top of the Tower of Terror over in Disney's Hollywood Studios. It's in the background of the Moroccan skyline. But the Imagineers were clever and overcame the problem of the viewpoint by painting the back of the tower and making the architectural details look more like Morocco, allowing it to blend right in as though it's part of the Moroccan architecture. It looks so good that hardly anyone even notices that that's the way it is. But it really is remarkable that they were able to set it up that way and make it look like that. So the next time you're when you're coming between Future World and World Showcase, take a look toward the Morocco Pavilion and see if it looks like you can see the Tower of Terror because you can, but you may not realize it. Well, there you go. That is my look at the Morocco Pavilion. I find the Morocco Pavilion to be really interesting feels like you're in the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie with Indiana Jones when you walk through the streets. It really does have that feeling it. You do get lost in it and it is worth taking the time to walk through it. Take the free 45-minute tour. It's worthwhile cuz you'll learn something about the history and customs and the culture of Morocco. This is your opportunity to learn something about one of the Middle Eastern countries. Another little interesting nugget for you here. After 9/11, back in 2001, there was sort of a general feeling of anti-Muslim that was happening in the, in the country, in the United States. And people thought of Arabic, the language, as being something that was associated with terrorism for whatever reason. So Disney was kind of clever about this. They instructed all of the people that work there, when they talk about the language of Morocco, they told them that they speak Moroccan. And while Moroccan is its, is its own language, it is a form of Arabic. So it's kind of interesting that Disney went ahead and said, hey, let's get ahead of this and we'll just have people say that they speak Moroccan when you go to the kidcot station you have someone put your name on there in moroccan they're actually writing in arabic and they but they never say that because they're trying to stay away from any sort of Uh, contentious beliefs or you know having people think uh, anything bad about them because this is a great population they're they're very moderate country very nice people go in there and and introduce yourself and talk to people and you'll learn something about the culture and and really something kind of interesting morocco is really kind of fascinating it has a really interesting history if you go and look it up and you know their relationship with the united states is so amazing the fact that they recognize the united states as a country first it's it's really kind of cool there's some some interesting history there And that's my look at Morocco. I hope you've enjoyed it. Now remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes... I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading